This is Craig Cooper, May Shanti Wellness. Please enjoy this podcast, Living Well in 2021. Hi everyone, I'm Craig Cooper. I'm the founder of May Shanti Wellness. The word itself, or the, the business name that I've come up with, is a combination of years of my own journey. May is an Aboriginal word for plant-based food, shanti meaning peace, and wellness, a value that, that I feel communities are striving for. Uh, a lot of people, I guess, um, especially over the last 12 months, wellness is so important as, as a key ingredient to thriving communities. I hope you enjoy this podcast. It's a culmination of a long journey, and at the end of last year, we ran a live event and recorded and brought together some really interesting speakers. It provides an opportunity and some insights into what, where we're currently at, and we've broken it into two, two segments or two podcasts, and with some content material about, I guess, what May Shanti Wellness is starting to deliver to the broader community. I really hope you enjoy as much as I've enjoyed bringing this to you guys. You're going to hear from three really interesting speakers in the first podcast. Dennis Bunnick is owner of Bunnick Travel, but also Dennis is chair of the Australian Tour Operators Association and provides some insights into his industry. We then have Kevil Passat, who's uh, with his lovely wife, owner of a well-known yoga academy. Then we have Dr. Mark Cohen, who has a doctorate in wellness and, and a leading expert on wellness, extreme wellness, but also wellness within our community. And Mark provides some really good practical examples about how people can maintain that well-being within who they are. Please enjoy part one, May Shanti Wellness, Living Well in 2021. And now I'd like to welcome Dennis Bunnick. Dennis is the owner of family business of Bunnick Travel, a leading outbound tour operator. Dennis is also chairperson of the Australian Tour Operators Association and uh, has played a significant leadership role in, in the Australian travel and tourism industry. And we're actually, we recorded this podcast at Dennis's business in the city. And uh, we'd like to welcome Dennis on board and uh, having some interesting insights into what he's been up to. So, Dennis, Dennis Bunnick, it's been quite a year. As, as I was alluding to the introduction, the, the importance of a pause. Dennis, travel industry, how's it been for you this year? Uh, a pretty enforced pause. <laughs> um, 100% of our business was uh, involving international borders, international travel, bringing people into Australia or sending Australians all over the sea, all over the world. Um, that stopped on the 15th of March when we suspended all our entire programs um, and it wasn't until this week that we had our very first passengers traveling again and that's on a, on a tour to Tassie. Um, it's tested all of us in ways that we never thought we would be tested. Um, resilience, suddenly um, we're needing to run a business without any revenue. Uh, obviously that came with, with a lot of cost cutting um, and staff who are used to making travel dreams come true are suddenly thrust into having to uh, work a system that wasn't designed to work in reverse, in reverse, um, and process and undo you know, a good year's worth of work and bookings and stuff and all of the stresses that uh, were involved in that. So, yeah, it it's, hasn't been a well year, but we've, we've tried. So I, I should mention, so Dennis is joint CEO of Bunnick Tours, um, family business since 1995, and mum 
Marin is in the audience here, which is awesome to see you. Um, currently chairman of the Council of Australian Tour Operators since 2015. YouTube channel with 20 million viewers and 100,000 subscribers. I've seen your YouTube channel. It's, uh, and the last five years, it, it's just grown significantly. Where do you see travel and tourism in Australia and how does wellness fit into that? Uh, look, it's, as you say, it's a chance to reset, times to pause, and, and the travel industry, when done well, travel can be an incredible force for good, both economically, socially, environmentally, um, but the opposite is also true, where you see exploitation, where you see the environment not being taken care of, and where you see the benefits of, of travel not being shared um, or not being equally distributed. So I, I think... You know, this is a real opportunity for the travel and tourism industry to do better. Um, and through my involvement at, at uh, Cato, the Council of Australian Tour Operators, uh, we've been, you know, debating those things and, and how do we go from, uh, how do we make things better um, from, a, from a travel and tourism perspective, more sustainable. And one of, one of the simple factors is brochures. You know, every travel brochure that was printed, and we ourselves printed probably 160, 170,000 brochures a year. Um, every brochure we printed last year is going to be you know, recycled, but should they be printed in the first place? And, and is there a better way for us to, uh, to do that? I was talking to Josie just before the proceedings, and Josie provided me some wonderful insights and was at, at actually... What was it, Josie? You'd done, one of your students had, had done some professional uh, look at bunny travel and quite socially responsible travel business. Dennis won't know this probably, but you spoke to Barbara Koth a couple of years ago and we used um, some of the insights that you provided about how Bunnick Travel operates at the Positive Psychology um, Conference as a role model for other businesses. So thank you. We're really impressed with the way you manage your staff and also think about the environment and the social responsibility that, that Bunnick Travel um, displays. Yeah, very impressive. <laughs> And I suppose that's been a bit of our focus in this last year is is the staff and the and you know those around us and, and trying to get them through this as best as we can. So from a wellness and look, I'm very conscious of the fact that I'm surrounded by a whole lot of experts here in in the wellness space and and you know we're we're not and and I'm certainly not. But uh, we've had to learn. And, and help get our staff through. So it's been a lot of simple things like, you know, everybody's down to four days a week, but rather than being spread out, we've consolidated them into Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, so that everybody has a long weekend every, every week. Um, things like finishing at four o'clock, especially during the winter months, that was important so people could still get home and have some daylight and go for a walk just to de-stress. Your, your lovely wife is a yoga teacher, I believe you do. She loves it when I introduce her as a fully qualified yoga teacher. Um, <laughs> but we've, we've been doing this for years um, now. Julie's been running um, guided meditation sessions, relaxation sessions for, for the staff where they basically get wrapped in blankets, put into relaxation pos uh, positions and taken through a, a guided meditation. Um, How many staff do you have, Dennis? Um, we had in this building uh, about 75 before, uh, before COVID hit. Um, in reality, we're now down to about 35, um, mm. with, with a number still stood down on JobKeeper, and they've got other jobs. We're hoping that they'll be able to bring them back, and obviously some redundancies as well. 
Awesome. So where do you see Bunny travel over the next five years? Do you see more regional tourism in terms of Australia you know, as an, being half now as CADA, yeah. Council of Operators? Oh, look, for, for us, uh, domestic tourism will be, mm. will be a, a big part going forward. Uh, we've got the Tassie tours, the South Australian tours. Uh, we'll be expanding that out and then bringing international people um, to sort of experience the Bunnock Tours concept um, here in Australia as well. So, um, but then outbound, you know, we've got uh, 200 tour guides around the world who, you know, rely on on the business that we provide them as well as hundreds and hundreds of other staff around the world at, at uh, working with the partners that we work with who are relying on mm. our, our business that we, that we bring in. And uh, so it's really important for us to get back on the road. And I'll, I'll give you an example. In, in Egypt, um, we provide 100% of the business to our office there. You know, the, the, uh, our agent, Egypt's Arrive Travel. And without us travelling there, mm. you know, they're, they're struggling. So we, we need to get back to overseas travel. Um, and our, our form of small group travel, which is very much about making personal connections to mm. the places um, and, the, and the culture and the people, becomes, you know, an important part of, of sharing. Um, mm. and, and I think, quite frankly, we'll, we'll do quite well in the post-COVID travel boom. I think we've all got itchy feet. We all want to get on a plane. <laughs> There'll be a, a jump out of the house and off you go. Exactly. Approach. Yeah. What motivates you, Dennis? What keeps you going? Um, I, I don't want to let this thing beat us, <laughs> right? So we will survive. And, and it's always been, and, and my family's instilled uh, in us, if you're going to do something, do it to the best of your ability. Mm. And if you have an opportunity to help, mm. do it. So, awesome. hence my involvement with with Cato is is all about to at least making it feel that I'm doing something to help the wider industry get through this, and and that's been personally good for me because there's obviously dark days during all of this as well, where you know, yes, yeah, sure, you're, you're doing stuff you don't want to be doing on mm. a on a day to day mm. basis, dealing with with clients who may not be so uh, understanding around uh, refunds and and the delays and stuff that that's taking. Um, so yeah, at least feeling that I'm I'm helping is has been good. Nice, very good. What legacy would you like to leave? Um, I suppose it's the same as all of us that we want to leave this world in a better place, and mm. you know, mm. Um, mm. come back and good. and well, at the end of it, say that was a bloody good life. I enjoyed that. <laughs> I did everything that I wanted to. Excellent. And stretch um, out and grow. Helped. Wonderful. Thanks, Dennis. Thanks once again That's okay. for the, the use of your lovely venue here. Before we hear from Kevil, our next speaker, I'd just like to talk to you about Garden the Mind. It's an online program as much as also a one-on-one coaching program that I'm offering to my clients. It's, I guess, the concept of being grounded and connected to nature. I feel there's more and more interest in, in, in our biodiversity, in our environment. But as much as I've been particularly been working around men and men connecting with the feminine and, and, and the importance of the matriarch, heart, mind, breath, how the body works, connects with the universe, aligns itself and looks for balance. You can get that material at my website, craigcoopmsw.com and then click on Garden the Mind. 
there's a, a link to a free resource. It's an e-workbook that I've compiled and collected material for over the years of my own personal journey. Referenced some really incredible books that I've read and some of my own journaling and writings around life and and understanding nature and, and planet Earth and how people move through and get the best in each particular situation. So free resource and I'd really encourage you to click on and, and have a read and I'd love to hear from you. Thanks, folks. Now I'd like to introduce you to our second speaker, Kevil Passat. Kevil is the founder of Shantarasa Yoga Academy with his lovely wife, Sadna. Uh, Kevil has devoted 40 plus years of his life to the study and, and teaching of yoga to thousands of students across the world and teaches that authentic way of, of living through the study of yoga and really dedicating to the uplifting of people through heart and mind and breath. And, and that really, I think, fits in so well with this podcast around wellness. You've had an interesting life, Kevin, and I'm, I've been fortunate to see parts of your practice and rituals that you're committed to, noting your, your heritage from America. What was one or, one or two defining moments that took you on this unique path, if I may? Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's great to be here with you all all of you, wherever you may be. Um, before we do that, I'd just like to offer a little, uh, an offering, mm. if I may. It's, um, it's a beautiful aphorism from the yogic tradition, and I'm going to sing it. Om Sahana Vavatu Sahano Bhunatu Sahaviryam Karavahavahe what that means is that uh, may we all come together and may we all uplift each other. May there be no enmity. May we all grow. Beautiful. And uh, I'd like to acknowledge... Um, the elders of the Ghana tradition as well. My wife has had good fortune to spend not so much time here working with the Ghana people, but up in the central desert and the APY lands. And uh, through her, I feel a, a rich and deep connection with this land. And we're very fortunate to live in a place like this, uh, in, in a country that has such rich depths and so much life and vibrancy and I, my feeling is that whether we actually know it or not, we're the beneficiaries of that. So having said that, what, well said. what brought me to um, this pursuit, really, in my life is, um, it's a hard thing to say. You know, I, I remember when I was um, about 20 years old, I had a, quite a dramatic occurrence that occurred. And it was the passing of one of my brothers. And we were extremely close. And um, he died in an accident. And I remembered six months before his passing, I was able to spend some time with him. We were both studying in the US at, at university. And we came together for a short period of time. And uh, in the course of those two weeks that we were together, both at different places in America studying, we had an altercation, nothing physical, but just some harsh words between each other. And uh, I felt that he was wrong in what he was saying. I think he probably felt that I was wrong with what I was saying. And we left not amicably. 
And uh, I thought, well, I'm going to let him stew with this. I'm going to let him sit with this for a while, and he'll come to his senses. And of course, I never saw him again. And so that made a profound impact upon me to value what life is, to value our connections with one another, to always leave each other in a way where there, there's no enmity, where there's open-heartedness. And... Um, that's, I think that lesson is what drew me to the study of yoga, which is something I've been pursuing now since, you know, in my teens, really. And um, it's been an unfolding, unfolding journey over that time. And you've met some pretty interesting people on your journey as well. I remember you sharing a story a couple of weeks ago. Um, yes, uh, just as we've honored the Ghana elders, I'd also like to honor all of the elders around the globe who gives so much to all of us, again, seen and unseen. And this is one of the things that's understood in the yogic tradition profoundly, that often people don't have a, an understanding and a regard for the kind of work that a yogi does. Yogi is not someone who just performs exercises, physical exercises, but a yogi is someone who is committed to the upliftment and the welfare of all living beings, um, and that serves that profound connection between all things, whether living or not. And so I had the very good fortune of spending some time with some what I would call highly developed people during the many years that I've lived in India. And I'm not sure uh, what you're referring to, but I can say that when I first met uh, my first teacher, whom I studied with for about 10 years, it was uh, a profound event because this person was the kind of person who didn't have to say much or do much to attract a kind of connection with him. He lived that kind of connection. And it, it just radiated from him. He had this wonderful quality of generosity and richness of spirit about him that you just came into his presence and you would feel that and something would come alive inside of you. Beautiful. Yeah, you, you use the word cultivate a lot in terms of cultivating heart and mind. How do we cultivate wellness then in a broader community? Well, I have a definition here for you, <laughs> if I can fish it out for you. It's from the WHO, and um, it's interesting what it says. Let's just see if I can find it for you. Yeah describe what wellness is, and they say it's a state of complete, complete, interesting, physical, mental, and social well-being, and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. So there's something about wellness that uh, I believe is intrinsic. It's a potentiality that we all carry, but it has to come from a deep place rather than simply from the circumstances of our lives. Um, Ayurved, which is the holistic healing um, system from India, inter integral system from India, which is closely aligned with yoga, says this, one who is established in the self with well-functioning bodily processes and whose mind, soul, and senses are full of joy is called a healthy person. So that may sound like a tall order, but when we're discussing wellness, I think it's useful to understand that 
it traverses the whole spectrum of human interaction and can take us to a very central and deep place within our own being. My concern with wellness particularly is um, the pandemic of loneliness and alienation that has arisen out of the situation which we found ourselves for the last nine months. And one of the things that I feel powerfully and, and strongly about is the recognition and also hopefully the communication of what yoga practice can bring to help alleviate suffering, to help alleviate loneliness and alienation. And it powerfully does. Um, but you have to be prepared to enter into that practice in, a, in an unremitting and committed way and be able to access the benefits of there. Hmm. That's, that's an interesting insight. Um, I guess it leads to a question I had about how does... Uh, I, we've seen significant growth in the, the emergence of yoga schools and people partaking in yoga classes in the yeah. last five, ten years. Any insights or, or thinking on how the I think it's wonderful. I think anything that moves us mm. towards wellness mm. and wholeness and... Um, the experience of equilibrium, of balance in life, is a fantastic gift. Uh, I would just say, though, that what many people meet as uh, yoga today mm. is like going to a banquet and picking up a plate and just taking an appetizer and sitting down and say, what a wonderful meal. It's <laughs> a nice analogy. Really, because that's mm. what it's like. You're getting a little taste. But what is on offer is something so much more powerful than that. And, you know, if you sit down and have two or three courses and the meal is full, when you're done, you feel satisfied, as long as you've not overeaten, of course. But you feel have that feeling of satisfaction. And that feeling of satisfaction, at least in my experience, doesn't arrive just from the interface with the food, but it's a whole experience. It's the eating the food, it's placing yourself in, in that environment, and a kind of opening that occurs within you or this sense of joyfulness just bubbles up to the surface spontaneously. So from my perspective, the understanding and the uh, interfacing with yogic practice can facilitate that deep kind of recognition and satisfaction. What's your comment on Dennis's yoga with his wife in the corporate sector? That's a good example where implementing, I guess, the concept of love and self-kindness hopefully breeds into that culture that's competitive, I guess. You know, we live in a capitalistic society. Is that a, a crazy vision to sort of that yoga can contribute I to I think some? we have to become our own best friends, mm. quite honestly. Um, the Bhagavad Gita, which is a, a sacred text from India, says uh, the self is either your enemy or your best friend. And we all have this capacity, I believe, from my participation in this kind of practice, to begin to establish that deep kind of relationship with that fundamental well-being that is intrinsic for every human being. Mm. Mm. Uh, so I think that's really important. And we can see, for example, today the benefits that uh, meditation has. Mindfulness, which is a form of meditation, is being taught throughout the world today. We find it in schools. Uh, the resources that it brings to people in terms of their capacity to develop both a resilience and a non-reactivity is incredibly beneficial. And as one continues to practice with that kind of, of awareness, 
mm-hmm. um, we begin to not only deal with the issues that are on the surface, the cause of di- difficulty, but we actually begin to access resourcefulness. Uh, Abraham Maslow, some of you would be familiar with his work, called that self-actualization. And what that means is that when we're able to penetrate just beyond the surface preoccupations and begin to mine deep within us, we discover that we have untapped resources, reservoirs of strength, of creativity, of beauty, of power, that are there waiting to be accessed. But it takes a certain pathway and pursuit to be able to do that successfully. Mm. Wonderful. So uh, also uh, yoga or Ayurvedic talks about alignment and and the seasons and and understanding constellations and how the planet works. Can you provide the audience with some insights in in that area of expertise? Um, I'm not an expert in Ayurveda, even though I use a lot of its uh, health guidelines and I've found it to be enormously beneficial now in my 72nd year. The body is not the way that it was 20 or 40 years ago. It's still pretty darn good. <laughs> but nonetheless... Looking pretty you know, good. <laughs> but nonetheless, um, mm. those guidelines and those practices really support and sustain life in a high degree of, of efficiency. Mm. I had a teacher once who had a, a wonderful maxim, which is very simple to remember. And he said... Um, one of the goals of life is to die young at an old age. Mm, beautiful. I love that. I remember and, that. And one of the things that I've seen after living in India for so many years is that, and in circumstances that are difficult, we're, frankly, we're cosseted, many of us, not all. Many of us are cosseted in our society with so much material stuff that we don't need. But to live in a place where that's not the norm by any means and to see people live with a kind of vibrancy and relationship with life that is joyful is incredibly inspiring. I'll give you a little example. One day I was walking from the place that I was staying, the facility down uh, a road into a town which was about uh, two kilometers away and was through an agrarian region, you know, there were rice paddies and fields there and I would do this every day to go visit a temple where I would like to go and sit and be quiet for a while. And one of my, on my, one of my morning sojourns, I saw this guy in the rice paddy and we waved to each other and over the next few weeks, we would greet each other every morning. And one morning he saw me and even before I could say anything to me, he called me and he went like this. And so I went over to him and he didn't know any English and I, I didn't know any Marathi, which was his indigenous language. But I followed him, and he took me to his home. And unbeknownst to me, he had prepared, and his family had prepared a breakfast for me. Quite moving, actually. These people had very little. You know, they lived on a cow dung floor. And interestingly, if you don't know much about cow dung, it's very, very powerful because it's antimicrobial. So in places like India and other, you know, Earth cultures, people will rub cow dung on the floors and on the walls, and it's because it actually provides a safe environment against microbes and so forth. So anyway, we sat down on the the cow dung floor, and he brought out a few chapatis and one or two other things, and the the kids gathered around, and his wife was there, and they were so happy to receive me in that way. And they they had so little, and yet 
they gave so much. Beautiful story. I've never forgotten that. That's a beautiful you know, that story. That stayed with me. And um, I think that's part of the loneliness that we have. We've lost the capacity to connect simply with the joy of life. Mm. And mm. we've become so dependent on artificiality, on things, you know, even on people. Our relationships with people are often superficial. Mm. The words we speak have no meaning. They have no mm. power. Mm. We don't really connect with one another. So to be able to pare down and pare away and get back to a place of directness with life itself is one of the things that Ayurveda talks about, connecting with all areas of life. Mm. What would one or two things you'd like to leave us in terms of some rituals or some, or some habits that one could take on that journey, as you say, to live a more peaceful and, and centered life? Two things. Okay, here we go. I have a couple of quotes for you again. Uh, this one is from a French philosopher. Some of you might be familiar with him. His name was Blaise Pascal, and he lived in the 17th century. He was a mathematician and a philosopher, and he said, all of one's miseries derive from not being able to sit in a quiet room alone. So the art of being able to be alone um, not isolated, but to be fully in the presence of what one carries is a great gift. And to be able to share that with others is really important. So that's part of what I like doing is helping people discover what it means really to be alone, which is not a place of loneliness. And the other one is um, a quote from Albert Einstein. And I was just thinking about this this morning. This is something that we... Uh, like to share with our yoga students. It's very uplifting, very inspiring. And this is, some of you may be familiar with it. It's taken from a letter that he wrote to one of his children. Her name was Lisa. And he wrote this to her. Uh, it was the last letter that she received from her father. And in it he says, he says, there is one, an extremely powerful force that so far science has not found a formal explanation to. It is a force that includes and governs all others and is even behind any phenomena operating in the universe. What a big statement, huh? Mm. And has not yet been explored and identified by us. And he goes on to say, this, this universal force is love. And... Um, all of us yearn for love, and the message really of the yogis and yoga is that love is always there. It's always abiding. Um, just because we haven't found the place to look for it mm. or know how to find it, that doesn't mean that it's not available. And if there's one thing I could leave you with is that that's been my experience with interfacing with yoga all of these years is I can't say that I abide there, but I've certainly tasted and I like to hang out with that wellstream, that wellspring of love that's available to every human being in every circumstance. I'll just finish with one thing. Rather. I like the wellstream of love. It's um, mm. something that Victor Frankl said, and I don't know if you're familiar with him. 
he was a remarkable man. Yes. And he lived through um, the Second World War uh, in one of the camps. He survived the whole thing. From 1939 to 1945, he was in a camp. He saw all of his family uh, disappear around him, exterminated. And he had a re realization one day, which is, they can take everything from me, but the one thing they cannot take away is my dignity. So what was he talking about? What is this dignity? I'm not sure I can give you the answer, but it's something that I've reflected on for a long time. But I do believe that dignity is intrinsic, and nothing can violate that, and nothing can take it away. Beautiful. Dignity. I resonate. Thank you, Kevin. Um, appreciate your insights and your time here this morning. Our final speaker is Dr. Mark Cohen. Mark has a PhD in Chinese medicine and biomedical engineering. In 2002, he became Australia's first professor of complementary medicine at RMIT University. He's a board member of the Global Wellness Summit and certainly a leader when it comes to extreme wellness. I think what Mark brings is the scientific aspects of wellness to the traditional elements that we often hear about in today's society, and, and I guess the relevance of that. Mark's presentation was brought via Zoom, and Mark references a lot of material and some really useful tools. And these slides, as Mark mentioned in the podcast, can be found on his website at drmark.co. And it really is, and we are, grateful to have Mark join us. And I, I, here we have our first online panellist, Dr. Mark Cohen. Hi, Mark. We can all see you. And thanks, Adam, for beaming on the big screen there. Welcome, Mark. Um, hey, everybody. So thanks for that introduction. Yeah, I'm, I've been very busy during the lockdown and, and doing a lot of things that I want to share. And, and my, my, I mean, I've introduced the term extreme wellness, which means going to the extremes of your physiology and finding the balance point of bliss in the middle. And what I'm really interested in is creating a culture of wellness. So how do we create wellness as part of our culture? And how do we find extreme comfort in any situation? And that we find that within, not without, but balancing those. And I want to talk a few of the, some of the principles and um, some of the um, my new ventures. So you've already said that, you know, the, my passion is to bridge scientific research and traditional wisdom and to provide simple practical solutions that make sense of life, master your mind and body, tame your toxic load and live happy and healthy and long. And there are some basic principles of wellness that I wanted to talk about. One is that the currency of wellness is connection. And that's connection with yourself, connection with others and connection with nature. And that when you get the basic things right, other things go right by themselves. And I'll talk about some of those basic things, which is just getting the water right, getting sleep right. So there's some really basic things you can get right and then other things sort of take care of themselves. And the thing I'm really sort of collecting and passionate about are these simple practical solutions that require very little cost, very little training and very little equipment that can be sort of done anywhere and help you um, connect. And that once you do these things, there, there are these simple practical solutions actually enrich the giver and the receiver. So there are many things you can give away that actually enriches you when you give them away. And when that happens, wellness becomes contagious. And that wellness can be just as contagious as illness. 
and that the recipe for wellness is actually really, really simple. And um, I've been you know, researching this for a long time and, and going into um, um, you know, the science of it. But when I've been summarizing this, it ends up as poetry. So I want to share a few poems with you that summarize some of this knowledge. But just to give you an idea of some of these simple practical solutions, these are things that when you give them away, you become richer. So one's a smile or a laugh or a song. You know, when you give that away, it actually enriches you or a hug or a massage or a kiss or a dance move or a breathing practice or a song, poetry, a story or a joke or a recipe or even your own knowledge. You know, when you give them away, you enrich others, but that enriches you. And there's other simple practical solutions as knowing where your, you know, your, your closest natural spring is. And there's a, a website called findaspring.com where you can find your, um, your closest source of natural water and get water from the, from the earth. That you can get rid of chlorine from your um, bathing water, which is it's really important to get chlorine out of your bathing water because bacteria are our friends and the bacteria on our skin and the oils on our skin are really important. But you can do that without a filter, but just by having a really hot bath, filling up your bath really hot, putting on the fan and waiting half an hour. And then that chlorine will outgas and then you can bathe um, in chlorine-free water without a filter. Um, we, we were talking about um, Ayurveda. Well, the, the most revered herb in Ayurveda is Tulsi or holy basil. And I always have um, Tulsi cuttings on my kitchen table and you just put them in, in water. Um, the flowers, they smell beautiful. Um, they look beautiful. But then after a week or two, they'll grow roots and you can plant them and grow another plant and give that away. And that's what I call the gift that keeps on giving because you can give a, and it works with other plants as well. If you give a, a plant cutting away, you've still kept your plant, but you've given that plant away. That person can then enjoy um, the, the smell and the beauty of the plant. They can grow it. They can take, if it's healthy, they can take the leaves and make the tea or use that pesto while they're cooking. Carry on. And then they can really start cutting some of that away. Sorry? I was just saying some wonderful little simple practical solutions. Yeah, just some beautiful insights here. Yeah. And another one is um, scobies, which are symbiotic colonies of bacteria and yeast. And these are traditionally used to brew kombucha or kefir. And you can actually brew your own medicinal beverages at home. And again, if you um, grow a scoby, you're going to be producing scoby. And if you don't give it away, you can compost it, you can feed it to your dog, and it's great for Do um, dogs to lower their anxiety because they've got a really strong gut-brain connection. But as again, it's something you can give away. And then if for some reason your scoby dies, you've got all these other people with scobies that you can say, hey, I gave you a scoby, can you give some back to me? So again, by giving it away, you actually become richer. So there's, there's just some of the solutions. Now, I've got this recipe for wellness, which is really simple, and it's, and it's a poem. And it's, it's the, so the recipe for wellness is to bathe in beautiful water, prepare delicious food. Make the most of every breath, dance through every mood. Tend the soil beneath your feet, embrace sunshine from above, share your gifts with all the world, fill your life with love. Fantastic. So that's actually super, super simple. And, and I'm sort of, all my ventures now are sort of focusing on how do I promote the recipe for wellness. And one of my ventures is beautiful water. So the recipe for wellness starts with bathing beautiful water. I've just created a company that, that has... Um, they're not water filters because they, they're more than that. They, these are systems that filter water, they structure the water, they balance the pH and minerals, they bless the water with conscious intention, 
and then they enable that water to flow freely and to be given away for free. So water is no longer a commodity. And if businesses or um, places have one of these um, systems, you know, it's a fraction of a cent for a litre of water out of one of these systems. They can give that away for free, which means people next to them who are selling um, plastic water bottles won't sell as many. And currently there are 500 billion plastic water bottles made every year. That's a million a minute. And it's a disaster um, for the environment and, and for everybody. So, you know, by having point of use filtration that has beautiful water and giving away that for free, you can, we, you know, you improve, you know, it's one of the most basic things to get right is your water. Um, it's the first part of the recipe for wellness, but then you can actually help the environment, help your body, help, help everybody. So that's one of my ventures. Now I have another poem I want to share, and this was the, the start of the pandemic um, when there was a lot of fear going around and, and people were, you know, how do I boost my immunity? And, and people were getting sensitive if they talked about it, you know, immune enhancing. So I started to do a literature review of all the different simple, practical solutions that you could do to boost immunity and reduce fear and anxiety that didn't require any cost, training or equipment. And when I started summarising these, it, it also came out as poetry. And um, this poem, if you go to my blog, um, you can click on it. There's 50 activities in this poem. And um, here it is. I call it the world of wellness. So I had to go from wired and tired to chilled and fulfilled. And if you go, go to my blog, each of these 50 activities, you can click on them and you'll get the research, a systematic review or meta-analysis or you know, clinical trial that has the research backing up these, um, these treatments. So, you know, and they are. So hold someone's hand, gaze into their eyes. Walk barefoot in nature, bask in sunrise. Choose a dance partner, go find your groove. Do Tai Chi or yoga, mindfully move. Share a massage, enjoy healing touch. Focus on one thing and don't think too much. Help someone in need, donate to a cause. Play games, meditate, read stuff from bookstores. Turn off your screens, get a good sleep, declutter. Spark joy, love what you keep. Make time for a hobby, play chess, fly a kite. Make use of your hands, draw paint, sew or write. Dig around in a garden, pick up a guitar. Slip into a bathtub, sauna or spa. Care for a pet, take up a sport. Go on vacation and make your home a resort. Lie in a hammock, release pent-up stress. Relax and do nothing, then do even less. Have a laugh, share a joke, give someone a kiss, say a prayer, chant a mantra, follow your bliss. So all of these activities can be done with you know, almost no cost, no special training or equipment. They'll, all of them will boost immunity. All of them will reduce anxiety. And you can make these part of your lifestyle. You can actually have a you know, health wellness supported lifestyle. So I, I call it the world of wellness. So make that your dance of life, including these activities. And I mentioned um, fermentation. You can brew your own medicines. They're living ferments. Um, they're being used for literally thousands, if not tens of thousands of years. And what happens when you ferment um, herbs? You actually bioactivate those herbs and the phytonutrients be have become enhanced. You get enhanced medicinal properties. And there actually is research that the population's throughout Europe that have higher consumption of fermented foods have much better outcomes for COVID-19. And I've also created a, the online Extreme Wellness Academy where I, I 
run programs and there's an online pro um, online courses and you know I'll when the travel comes back I'll again start running retreats at Maria Hot Springs in New Zealand and in Bali and in that I talk about opening up your channels of elimination which are your bladder your bowel your breath your body and your brain and going to the extremes of your physiology in terms of water glucose oxygen temperature and carbon dioxide so it involves filtering and flushing your bladder feasting and fasting your bowel panting and holding your breath doing hot and cold with your body and doing everything so you're in a flow state and don't doing not doing anything at all so doing absolutely nothing with your brain so that's a form of meditation that, that's brilliant so that's a, a basic lifestyle program and by going to the extremes of your physiology in, in water glucose oxygen temperature and carbon dioxide you can then come back to that blissful still point in the middle so it's only by exploring in a controlled way so you're in control it's not so when you're doing an ice bath or a sauna you're you're really stressing your body but you can get out any time and you're in full control so by practicing being stressed you can then build your resilience so when the outside world stresses you you you're in a much better position to cope and finally um I've been writing children's books and I have two um stories that are uh, consciousness raising stories one's called the beautiful mare and the boy who gave thanks and it's a very ancient story um that talks about how events can be seen as good or bad or neutral or if you have a attitude of openness you can see any event as being the best possible thing and you'll give thanks for it so that that's available as a beautiful hard hard cover um children's book it's also um online and patria king a meditation teacher has done the narration for that and a, got a soundscape for it and a new book which has just gone to the printers will be available i think the first week of january it's called bing and bang begin and that's a story that i started writing 35 years ago when i was studying chinese medicine and i wanted to create a story that was true to ancient wisdom traditions and eastern cosmology but also true to western science and thermodynamics and evolution and it went through mindfulness and quantum physics and um physiology and i wanted to include all of these concepts but in a story that was in a Dr Seuss type rhyme that felt good in your mouth when you said it. So it's actually the whole book is a poem that's got all these really fundamentally deep concepts in it, but it's it's you know for children and it's incredibly beautifully illustrated my illustrator Kiamatic um she took 2 years to, both of these books took over 2 years to just to illustrate and that's going to be available soon. So these are sort of my you know my way of sort of trying to create culture of wellness um and spreading these these messages and um No, I think it's really important that we actually imagine a world of wellness. Like, what does that look like? And there's so many people now, you know, protesting or fighting what they don't want. But mm. you know, we, I think we have a we have to have more of a discussion of what do what do we want and what does the world look like when everybody is well. And um, that's the discussions I'm really interested in in you know participating in and adding to. And you know, um, while I'm you know really happy to be talking mm. today. And um, yeah, so I'm, I'm I've done all these social media things. I'm on lots of different platforms, and people can find me. on these or they can um email me at um info@drmark.co so wow you've blown me away mark there's some really cool resources there so all that those, those poems yeah. and, and ordering those book that book particular book in january so on your website you can find that there um yep on or there will be on the dr mark website there was each of these businesses have their own individual website yeah, but yeah, yeah um otherwise people if they, people get lost and try and find things they can just email me and I'll refer to where they need to go some beautiful insights mark where do you see or how do you see australia 
um, in the rest of the world and how we're performing in the area of wellness? Well, I think, um, you know, we've got a huge opportunity because Australia is a melting pot. We have all the different cultures represented here. So we have a very strong European influence, very strong American influence, very strong Mm. Asian influence and very strong indigenous and environmental influences on us. And none of them really dominate. So in all the other parts of the world, you know, one of those will dominate. But in, in Australia, we have all of these you know, working on us and we have the opportunity to take the best of each of these influences and cultures and integrate them and then send them back out to the world. Mm. Um, so, I've, you know, I, I see that with yoga. I've done a lot of yoga research. I've published you know, dozens of you know, research on yoga, um, which has actually been you know, taken up in India. So even though India is the centre of yoga, you know, mm. often it takes some, someone outside of India to come and you know, look at yoga and then uh, refer back in. So I think Australia has a very strong positioning in the world. We have a very leisure-bound culture. Yeah. Um, you know, we have beautiful environments. We have this, um, you know, the sporting culture and the outdoors sort of culture, yeah. even though, you know, we're one of the fattest, um, obese, mm. you know, countries in the world. But, uh, but I think we have this opportunity to bring the best of every other influence and culture, integrate that and then send it back out to the world. So I, I think... You know, we're in a really great position for um, yeah, from, you know, seeding the world, you know, seeding the world with wellness and, and having that wellness contagion infecting the world with good health. So the opportunity. Do you, do you have much research or study in the area of, I guess, the correlation between Indigenous culture and how they've embraced, uh, I guess, the Ayurvedic principles, the, the yogi, yogi? You see the, the, the similarities. Between I mean, I haven't those. done specific research on this, but, but, I mean, for example, I'm doing a lot of work um, looking at water. I mean, I have mm. this company, Beautiful Water, and every Indigenous culture yeah. respects nat- natural water sources. Yeah. And um, I was very privileged. I spent quite a bit of time with um, Grandma Agnes Baker Pilgrim, who's she's passed now, but she was the um, the chairperson of the um, International Council of 13 Indigenous Grandmothers. Grandmothers, that's right. And, um, okay. and, and she always used to say, you know, she speaks for water and to give thanks for water and Mm. Every indigenous culture, and in fact, every spiritual tradition has mm. this connection with water. Mm. Um, water, hold, you know, water is who we are. Well, we're ninety nine percent of our molecules, or more than ninety nine percent of our molecules are water molecules. So we're two thirds water by mass or by volume. But water is such a small molecule; it's it's actually ninety nine percent of our molecules. And water holds consciousness. Um, so it's the infrastructure for our bodies, and the water that comes from nature is, you know. You know, we talk about the currency of wellness is connection. Well, water is what connects all life on earth. You can't have life without water. Yeah, well and the said. water that goes around and the water cycle connects all of us. So, um, yeah, you know, looking at Indigenous wisdom, I think when, when you get the, you know, again, if, when you get the basic things right, other things go right by themselves. So if we get water right, and that's true for you know, permaculture when you're looking at, you know, flow on a, on a property and getting productivity right. But it's also, I think, true in our own lives. So I think, um, you know, in terms of, you know, how do we, well, how can, what can we learn from indigenous cultures, and that is, you know, to respect and revere and protect our water sources. Mm, beautiful, uh, Josie. will talk about climate change and climate coaching in the environment. But do you see much? I mean, we we were saying that sometimes we, we don't like the word climate change. It sort of has a negative connotation to the Australian site. Do you think wellness then is a, is a better way to sort of tackle our environment? Well, that's right. I think it is because um, Aussie I think people within that and, and like, like you said, the, the culture of sporting identity and the great outdoors. 
but then to take more of a holistic journey into the, as you, the, the journey that you're really presenting to well, us. That's right, because um, if you try and sacrifice human health for the climate, it doesn't work. Yeah. The best way to have a healthy climate is to have healthy humans. Yeah. And, um, mm. and you can't have healthy humans without them being well, and you can't be well unless you have you know, the environment supporting you. So I think you know, wellness is a bigger, more holistic view of mm. you know, looking at the climate. And the climate is just only look at one part of the equation. As I say, the currency of wellness is connection. It's about our connection with ourselves, each other, and the environment. And I don't think we can just look at the environment without looking at the connection with ourselves and the connection with other people. Yeah, beautiful. I think it would be interesting to hear Trevor's story because Trevor was an elite athlete, made the Olympics lifesaver as well, and he's taken that journey a more holistic towards a life of, yeah, as the beautiful tools that you've just shared, just having a more balanced life, So, which you've, yeah, done beautifully. Is there anything else you'd like to add, Mark? We're really grateful for your time um, no, this morning. I know how busy you are. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of I mean, there's a lot of content already that I've just shared, and yeah, I've um, got a and bit. even in those poems, they're very potent. So even though they're very simple, they're also very deep as well. Apart from your study and your academic, what do you do in your spare time? I guess you, you practice what you preach, no doubt. Well, um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm trying to create heaven on earth in my you know my home. Oh, I so like that I'm, concept. I'm building saunas and orchards and and permaculture gardens and wow. having community so i had had um, had a whole my my son was 17 last night I had a big party here for him and then i've got people coming over today nice. doing um what I, call, what I call building bonding and bathing weekends where we <laughs> we build something we bond together and then we all hang out in the sauna and the pool and the hot tub and 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 relax and, and connect with each other so that's yeah i try and you know live that and just finally what, what, what i i heard what do you do in new zealand you run some retreats there well, I, yeah, I'm a shareholder in Maruya Hot Springs, which is this incredible um, natural hot spring resort right in the middle of the South Island in the in the Southern Alps. And it's um, it's a, there's a small hotel. It's got 22 rooms and it's got 38 camper van sites, but it's got natural hot water coming out of the ground. Mm. And um, the whole property is off the grid, so it runs on its own hydroelectric station. It's got mountain water coming down a stream, mountain stream that runs the hydro station, so it's off the grid. And, and we do there what we call um, adventure bathing and extreme bathing. So, and this right. is a, um, a fantastic <laughs> sort of thing anyone, that anyone can do. So we take people up to either up to the high plains. So it's about a two or three hour hike up to the top of the the, the mountains. There, it's, you know, about eighteen hundred meters elevation. Um, and there, there are these small tarns, these small little lakes that are really cold water. Um, or we take people, depending on the weather, we take them up these river valleys where there's these glacial melt runoff rivers. And before, before we do the hike there, and, and on the hike, you know, you're going for this moss-covered, it's like Narnia, and that's actually where they film Narnia, all this moss-covered, incredible environment. Um, and we do forest bathing, we do some breathing practices. But then when they get there, we've sent the staff off before, and there's a hot tub and a steam room and, a, and heated hammocks and a fire with lunch and, and a bathrobe. So you get to this wilderness location with freezing water in nature but there's a hot tub and a steam room, so you don't mind getting really hot. And when you're really hot, you'll jump in the freezing river or the freezing lake, and that just creates unforgettable experiences. Because when, when you're in the middle of nature, so like we've created like this five-star wellness spa, you know, out of a backpack in the middle of nature, and that when you connect with nature at that level, it's really mm. uh, it's game-changing. So, mm. and um, I'm, we do that in New, in New Zealand, but um, I'm trying to my my online academy is trying to train people to do that anywhere. Because anywhere you have um, 
you know, a beautiful natural location with water, you can, there's equipment now, you can set up a hot tub and a steam room um, and heated hammocks out of a backpack. So it means the whole world becomes a health retreat. Mm, mm, so that's well what we're, we're doing that in New Zealand. Yeah. And we do, we do it in Bali as well, where we set up ice bars on the beach in Bali. So people get really <laughs> hot and they haven't, then they have an ice bath and um, experience those, those contrasts of the extremes of their physiology. Awesome. What do you see as some one or two key themes that wellness will sort of pop its head up to mainstream in the next couple of years? I know breath is, seems to be everyone's into the breath coach and the Wim Hof stuff as well. Um, nature, I guess. Yeah, I, I did a lot of work where, with Wim Hof um, when he was going? in Australia a couple of years ago. Pardon? So, yeah, um, I, I, did, I did a lot of work with Wim Hof. I, I gave the, the science lecture for his tour of Australia a couple of years ago. Um, and actually, I just did an interview with him um, last month for the Global Wellness Summit. But um, so I, I actually see that people will go away from the big city locations and start going into wilderness locations and having more natural experiences. So we're already seeing now there are um, um, companies that are setting up like little luxury tiny houses on wilderness properties where you can have this sort of luxury um, environment, but you're in nature and it's very private. So you've got this natural experience, but you've still got the creature comforts. So there's a company in Australia um, called Unyoked that do that, and they set up, they build like a tiny house, and it's got, you know, you see you've got beautiful sheets and a coffee machine, and but an outside okay. fire and an outside bath, but you're in nature and it's all done for you. So that that sort of experience mm, um, sounds pretty amazing. Curated where people can experience nature, yeah. and it doesn't require a lot of capital infrastructure. You don't have to build a big hotel. You don't have to have the you know, big impact environmental footprint. Um, but the quality of the experience you get is really profound. And also, I think you know people are leaving cities. Um, you know, now, I mean, COVID's taught everyone how to work remotely. Mm. So suddenly, it's not so important to live you know, in a high density urban population. They can go out to um, more wilderness locations and connect with the earth. So I see that as a continuing trend. Beautiful. Some wonderful insights there, Mark. Thank you so much. Yeah. Pleasure. That concludes our podcast and I'd just like to take the opportunity to thank the many different partners that have made this event possible, particularly Bunnick Travel, allowing us to use their awesome venue for the, the live event where we had people come in and listen, uh, Real Food Life for the catering, uh, beautiful nutritionist food, and the speakers, and um, those speakers that, that found some time to dial in from interstate and also joining us at the live event uh, the on and offline community, that is those participants that came into the, to the function room and those that dialled in through Zoom on the day. And, and I'd like to acknowledge the Ghana people, the, the traditional owners of, of this particular land, the, the custodians that have cared for this country for thousands of years. And on that, this was a free event, but we encourage people to make donations to the children's ground. They're a not-for-profit organisation working in remote Aboriginal communities, doing really important work with children, allowing them to connect with their culture and their language. So um, if you do want to connect with them, go to their website, childrenground.com, and make a donation. Thanks for listening.